Most of you know that we've been in a uh, series since back in October that we just can't seem to finish called Let My People Think. Uh, I still owe you one more sermon in that series, but since it's Christmas, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna wait to that, uh, wait to finish that series until the first week of January. This morning, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you would. Luke chapter 2. Now, most of you know this particular passage of Scripture because it's probably one of the most famous of all of the narratives in uh, the Gospels about Christ's birth. Again, you know it. The shepherds are out in the fields tending their sheep. Suddenly, the glory of the Lord shines around them. An angel of the Lord appears to them. And these shepherds are, as you or I would have been, frightened by all of this. And you can read, starting in verse 10, uh, what the angel says to them. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. One of the central sentiments of Christmas in many of the songs we sing on the Christmas cards that uh, we send and, and we, sh- we receive, uh, even on the front lawns of our neighbors as they've decorated their homes for Christmas, is uh, the phrase, peace on earth. In fact, we just, we just sang it a few minutes ago from the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know, we said, peace on earth and mercy mild. If you stop the average person on the street, regardless of what they believe about Jesus Christ, one thing that they're certain about is that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. And yet, if you look around the earth this morning, there's precious little peace to be found. Just this past week, the Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram kidnapped 300 schoolboys in northern Nigeria. Israel has started rolling out the coronavirus vaccine, but the Palestinians are angry because Israel has conveniently chosen to make the Palestinians the last people in Israel to receive it. Russia may have been behind a scheme that hacked government and private sector systems here in America. And speaking of America, the tension here at home is palpable. Republicans versus Democrats, the private sector versus government, coastal elites versus Midwest, even families have been divided by political ideology this year. Hostility, bloodshed, violence. I mean, all those things dominate our headlines. And if Christ came to bring peace on earth, where is it? Show me the peace. Where is all the peace? And how do we square this central sentiment that connects the birth of Christ and peace on earth? How do we square that with the reality of the world around us. In fact, let me, in fact, let me just complicate things a little bit more for you this morning. Here's something Jesus says. Uh, just, you, can, you can just read it along on the, on the screen with me. But Jesus says this. It's just 10 chapters later than this verse that we just read about peace on earth. Jesus said, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But division... 
From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, how do you square that with the Christmas sentiment of peace on earth? Here you have Jesus stating unequivocally that he didn't come to bring peace on earth. How do you square that with the idea that Jesus came to bring peace? peace on earth. And if Jesus came to bring peace on earth, here's a question for you. Why was his life so lacking in peace? It might surprise you. might be controversial to you to learn this morning that Jesus didn't come to bring peace on earth. Does that surprise you? Does that surprise you? that different from your understanding of Christmas? In fact, Jesus, Jesus was quite disruptive in any place that he was introduced. Someone once said, I'm paraphrasing, but they said, they said that Jesus is the only name that when dropped into a conversation, all hell breaks loose. Because if you think about it, Jesus was and he still is really quite offensive. Think about it. His, Jesus' claim was offensive. What do I mean by that? Well, Notice what the angel says to the shepherds here uh, again in verse 14. They say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Look at the scope. Heaven and earth. You see, Jesus came to the earth to stake out an enormous claim that he's the owner of every inch of the universe. It is all his. Physics, math, biology, psychology, technology, all his. Oil, gold, silver, all his. Your intellect, your talent, your creativity, your property, your money, your body, the child in your womb, your family, all his. Heaven and earth. And as such, he deserves adoration and allegiance. Now, that's an offensive claim. See, that's very offensive. If you've ever watched, if you've ever, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if you have nieces, nephews, whatever, if you've ever watched, if you were ever a child, if you've ever watched children play together, what happens when one child takes a toy from another child? What happens? War breaks out. Because one of the most fundamental instincts is to assert and to defend ownership. Human beings resist the notion that everything is his. It's an offensive claim that Jesus makes. And from the very outset of his life, that claim created conflict. You know the story. The wise men from Jerusalem, uh, the wise men come to Jerusalem asking, you know, they ask people in Jerusalem, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? And King Herod freaks out. Why? I love how Frederick Meekner, the author, uh, put it. He said this. He said, for all of Herod's enormous power, he knew there was somebody in diapers more powerful still. Herod understood quite clearly that Jesus' claim made him Herod's enemy. And so he orders the slaughter of every boy born near Jesus' birthplace, two years old and under, in order to ensure the death of this rival king. Just to keep Jesus alive, his family became refugees in Egypt. Now, that's not the sentimental piece that we talk about at Christmas, is it? His claim was offensive. Not only was his claim offensive, but his message was offensive. Listen, I want to tell you something. I want you to understand something. No one gets crucified because they're walking around in sandals talking about peace and love. That was the whole hippie movement in the 1960s and 70s. 
See, no one gets crucified for that. Jesus' message was that you should love one another, but you can't love one another because you are self-centered sinners. And you see, that will get you crucified. And speaking of being crucified, not just Jesus' claim that was offensive, not just his message that was offensive, but his death was offensive. Why? Well, because his death proclaimed that we are so bad that he had to die to save us. Now, if you don't think that's offensive, consider that every other religion in the world rejects that message and teaches exactly the opposite, that you can save yourself by being good and following the laws of their particular religion. You don't need someone to die for you. You can save yourself. See, Jesus is offensive and as a result polarizing so much so But he says in that passage I just read to you that he even divides families in many parts of the world, even in some families in America. If one member of the family accepts the claims of Christ, they're disowned by their family, sometimes even in, in danger of being killed by their own family members. Jesus divides people, and he causes conflict between them. There are people who hate Christianity. Because of Jesus. And then there are people who adore and worship Jesus. And you see, that's the position that Jesus puts you in. You either love him or you hate him. Now, now I'm certain that there are some who are, uh, you know, in earshot of this talk that are saying, well, look, I, I don't really feel either way about Jesus. I don't hate him. But I wouldn't say that following him is the supreme concern of my life either. Well, the problem is, the reason that that happens, see, is that you're not being intellectually honest with yourself about who Jesus is and what he claimed and what he said and why he died. Because you can't be intellectually honest with yourself and be in the middle about him. That's why Jesus is so polarizing. Intellectual honesty demands one or the other. You either love him or you hate him. He's so, Jesus is actually quite polarizing. So, so if that's the case, if Jesus is so polarizing, if his, if his own life was not a life of, of peace, where in the world did we get the idea that Jesus came to bring peace on earth in the first place. After all, the angels do say here in Luke 12, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Well, this passage uh, tends to be misinterpreted in two ways. The first has to do with confusion between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Notice that the whole context of this passage is Jesus' first coming, his, his birth. That's what this is all centered around. Now, the Bible does say that Jesus is going to come again in the future, and he's going to reign over the world as the king of kings, and when he does, he will bring peace to the whole earth. That's his second coming, but not his first coming. No, as as we've seen, his first coming actually brought a great deal of conflict and division. And the other way that this passage is often misunderstood is that it has to do with the the confusion about the kind of peace that the angels are singing about here in the first place. You see, the kind of peace that the angels are proclaiming is not peace between human beings. That's not what they're proclaiming. They're not proclaiming some kind of man-made political peace or peace between nations or races or genders or classes. No, the kind of peace that the angels are proclaiming here that Jesus' birth brought to the world 
was an altogether different kind of peace. Here's what it was. You might make note of this. Jesus brought peace between God and man. That's what this is about. Jesus brought peace between God and man. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that that's the kind of peace that the angels are proclaiming here? Well, look at verse 14. Who does verse 14 say that the peace is going to come to? It says it's going to come to those on whom his favor rests. Now, let me ask you, on whom does his favor rest? Well, listen to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace or favor in which we now stand. In other words, God's favor rests on those who have accepted the claims of Jesus Christ and believed in him. That's what the angels are proclaiming, that Christ was born to bring peace between God and man, not, be- not peace between human beings, That's not what this is about. Not peace between nations. That's not what this is about. Peace between God and man. And in fact, there there are three surprising, um, I'll call them qualities, three surprising qualities about this peace that Jesus brings that I think are are quite counterintuitive and, and that are far less sentimental than the peace that most of us think about at Christmas. Here's the first. The first is that the peace that Jesus brings is is born in hostility. Uh, The peace that Jesus brings is born in hostility. What do I mean by that? Think about the fact that because the angels are proclaiming that peace between God and man has come with Jesus' birth, that implies that there is not peace between man and God apart from Jesus' birth. And in fact, that's precisely what the Bible says, that all of us born into the world are born hostile to God. Romans 1 puts it this way, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, listen to this, suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God has made it plain to them. In other words, our instinctive response as human beings is to deny God the rightful place that he has in the universe and in our lives. We suppress uh, the truth about him. We are offended by him for all the reasons that I mentioned earlier. But here's the good news. Book of Romans also says that God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, in a nutshell, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are enemies of God. We're born hostile to God. But that while we were still enemies of God, God made a way for us to be reconciled to him through belief that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died for our sins. Which means that When you believe in Christ, you are reconciled to God, brought into relationship with him, not on the basis of your life, but on the basis of his life and death. Now, what most people say is, well, that's too easy. You mean mean just believe? That's all I have to do is just believe? Yes, but, but the only way to get there is to admit the native hostility in your heart toward God. And you see, that's why I say that Jesus, that the peace that Jesus brings is a peace born in 
hostility. There is no way to get to this peace without admitting the native hostility in your own heart toward God. And the biblical word for this is repentance. Do you know what, do you know what it means to repent? You know what repentance means? It's to admit that the orientation of your heart has been hostile toward God, that you can't change it, and therefore you need both forgiveness and a power to change. And your only hope is through the sheer grace of God displayed in Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. So yes, on the one hand, the gospel is easy, but on the other hand, it's quite difficult because it requires that you repent of your hatefulness toward God and acknowledge your inability to rescue yourself, and that is a massive blow to the prideful human heart. That's the very message that God Jesus killed in the first place. So this peace that Jesus brings, it's, it's born in hostility for you to experience it, for you to have this peace with God. You first have to acknowledge your own hostility toward God. Second, the peace that Jesus brings, so this is, again, this is going to sound counterintuitive to you, but the peace that Jesus brings attracts hostility. It's born in hostility, but it also attracts hostility. Jesus once said, John chapter 15, he says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. This peace that Jesus brings, it attracts hostility. Richard Dawkins, the famous biologist and atheist, said in an interview with the Irish Times a few years ago, he said that children need protected from Christian parents. That Christianity is not just false, but that it is a form of child abuse. That's pretty hostile. Increasingly in America, Christianity is portrayed not just as wrong about God, but as evil, hateful, intolerant. Uh, Bible-believing Christians are commonly compared to, uh, to ISIS, accused of wanting to establish the Taliban-type theocracy, and we're called bigots and haters and, and Nazis. You may recall a few years ago, a man walked into a church on a Sunday morning and Sutherland uh, Springs, Texas, and massacred 26 people, wounding 20 others. Cultural commentator David French tweeted on that day, he tweeted this, he said, the amount of anti-Christian hate on Twitter the same day that Christians were massacred is stunning and chilling. And in fact, what he was responding to was that on that day, a picture was making the rounds on Twitter in which three lions were held, uh, three lions were captured or, or were uh, shown as holding up signs that looked like those that are held up by cows on the Chick-fil-A ads. And except the, except the signs, instead of saying, eat more chicken, said, eat more Christians. Same day that people were massacred in a church, Christians were massacred in a church. The peace that Jesus brings attracts hostility. I, I would challenge you to find a positive portrayal of Christianity in dramas or comedies on television, movies, Netflix, Amazon, anywhere else. Christians are routinely portrayed today as evil, intolerant, hateful, not just wrong, 
On the other hand, I'll tell you something. I can point you to positive portrayals of Islam on those same media outlets. Not Christianity, though. Now, I mention this. I'm not trying to ruin your Christmas. But to make sure that you understand that peace with God does not necessarily mean, and increasingly does not mean, peace with culture. Now, now, let's make sure that we're clear about this. There are some Christians who earn that reputation of being hateful and intolerant and evil by the way they speak on social media and the way they act toward people in their relational world. They're harsh and angry. Here's what I like to say, that they're Christians and they're angry about it. (laughs) On the other hand, there are some Christians who don't catch any of this hatred, largely because... No one, knows in their, no one in their world knows that they're a Christian. They hide their faith. They never take a stand on things. But listen, at some point, you're going to be pressed. You're going to have to take a stand for Christ. If you're a follower of Christ in this culture, you will not be able to avoid some kind of persecution, some kind of ridicule for faith in Christ. And this should come as no surprise. Jesus was loved by some, but hated by many. And if they hated Jesus, as he says, they will hate you, his followers. This peace that Jesus brings, well, it was born in hostility, it also attracts hostility. And if you're not confused already by what I've said, I think what I'm going to say next will probably confuse you even more. While it's true that Jesus didn't come to earth to bring peace, and while it's true that that his peace attracts hostility, it's also true that the peace he brings destroys hostility. Now, are you confused yet? Yeah. He didn't come to bring peace on earth. The peace he... He brings was born in hostility, it attracts hostility. It also destroys hostility. Now, how in the world could that be? Well, here's here's what I mean. The peace that people long for, that the bumper stickers advocate, that the, the kind of peace that John Lennon sang about in his song, Imagine, it's impossible to achieve that peace for one simple reason. It's the longing for acceptance. Every human heart, you see, longs for acceptance. But the instinctive belief of the human heart is that my acceptance is a product of my performance. And as soon as you base your acceptance in your performance, life becomes a zero-sum game in which you and I are competing for acceptance. Every victory that you have cuts into my acceptance. And so bitterness and envy and rivalry sets in because I'm always comparing myself with you. I'm always competing with you. Now, the the word for basing your acceptance in your performance, here's what the word is. Self-righteousness, that's the word. Maybe I should call that a phrase. It's two words, self-righteousness. That's what it is. Now, that, that may not be how you think about it, But the word for basing your acceptance in your performance is self-righteousness. Righteousness Righteousness means acceptance. That's what what that is. It's self-righteousness. Every time you you hear someone on Instagram or Facebook talking about self-acceptance, think self-righteousness. That's what they're talking about. And it looks like a thousand different things. 
Like it might look like a business person who believes that his or her acceptance as a person is based on the amount of money they make. Or it might look like a parent who believes that his or her acceptance is based upon their performance as a parent. The kind of kids I raise, like the lives they live, the things they do, reflect on me. Their success or failure is a verdict on me. It might look like a pastor who believes that his acceptance is based upon the size of his church. It might look like a, a woman who believes that her acceptance is based on her desirability, her, her beauty. It might look like a religious person who believes that their acceptance is based upon their adherence to their religious laws. All of that's self-righteousness. It also looks like racism. Racism at its core is self-righteous. I'm more acceptable because I'm white or I'm black or I'm Asian. It also looks like, I think this will surprise you, it also looks like virtue signaling about how woke you are. I'm acceptable because I'm more woke than you. Here's a form of self-righteousness too that I think is counterintuitive to most people. Victimhood. Don't get me wrong. You might be a real legitimate victim of something. Something may have happened to you that made you a victim at some point in your life. That's true. But some people choose to glory in their victimhood because remaining in my victim status makes me more righteous than you because I've suffered so much more than you. Do you, do you, see, do you see what I'm saying? If my acceptance is based upon my performance... Life becomes a zero-sum game in which peace is impossible because we're always competing with one another. Your acceptance cuts into my acceptance. But what if? What if the only opinion in the universe that really matters came along and said to you, I accept you. You don't have to dance for your dinner anymore. You don't have to perform for your acceptance anymore. You might be more successful or less successful than someone else. You might be more intelligent than someone else or less intelligent. You might be white or black. You might be a victim or not. It just doesn't make any difference anymore. You are acceptable to acceptable to me, just as you are. All your baggage, all your imperfections, you, you're acceptable to me. You're the apple of my eye. That's what peace with God looks like. That's what it sounds like. You see, here's the thing. If you, if you base your acceptability and your performance in, in your self-righteousness, you will find that no matter how much you succeed, no matter how much you talk to yourself about self-acceptance, you will never be at peace with yourself because internally, you know instinctively that you live with a verdict upon your life because the standard by which all people is measured is God's perfection. Now, you can deny that you know that all you want, but that's how you are hardwired. Jesus was born to bring peace with God, meaning 
that the guilty verdict on me can be removed through faith in him and that his perfect performance in life and death can be credited to me. I can be accepted based on what Jesus did, not what I do. Only by having the pressure of acceptance through performance removed can the competitive hostility that we live with toward one another and the hostility that we feel toward ourselves, only that way can it be removed. I want you to listen to this. The Apostle Paul is writing about this. Now, he happens to be writing about it in the context of racism and nationalism in the early church between Jews and Gentiles. But it applies to every situation. It applies to the businessman or woman. It applies to, you know, the person who thinks that, uh, you know, they're more uh, desirable, you know, that they're more acceptable because they're more desirable. It, it, it applies to the person who thinks that they're more woke than someone else and that means they're more self-righteous. It applies to everything. Listen to what he says. He's talking about Christ. He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Christ's death on the cross brings peace with God because on it he took the verdict we deserved and his righteousness becomes mine, which in turn tears down the dividing wall of competition that we feel with one another. It's the only way peace is possible. Without the cross, every avenue of life becomes a competition, even religion. As much as we like to be sentimental about Christmas and talk about peace on earth, the reality is, listen to me now, the reality is that the possibility of peace with God and therefore peace with one another came through the most violent act of injustice in all of human history. Jesus Christ's death on the cross. The only way to have the competitive spirit removed, try it through religion. Try it through trying to be better than everybody else. What's that? Trying to be better than everyone else. Trying to perform. That's called self-righteousness. That's competition. Try it through being, trying to be more woke than everyone else. That's competition. It, it doesn't matter. There's no way to remove the competition between people without the cross of Jesus Christ because it's through the cross that God says, the verdict on you is that you're acceptable. Because Jesus paid for your sins, his righteousness is now yours, and we're good. You're acceptable. Two kinds of people here this morning. Two kinds of people listening or watching this on Facebook, YouTube. There are people who've never understood this and you're still striving for self-acceptance through performance. You've never understood what Christ did for you on the cross and the significance of that. You need this morning to accept what Christ did, but it begins by admitting that your natural state of being is hostile toward God. You gotta start there. And that's a, that's a, man, that's a hit on your pride. 
There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing you can do to be acceptable. You need the mercy of God as displayed in Jesus Christ on the cross. See, this peace is born in hostility. It always is. You have to admit that. The other group of people that are here today are people who have accepted Christ, but still, you're trying to dance for your dinner all the time. Like your life is just about one thing, but you're trying to perform, you compete with one another, you look at Facebook and you're jealous of what other people are doing and you look at Instagram and you can't believe how that woman looks or what kind of shape she's in or whatever it is. And you're like, I just, so you're trying to compete. You're trying to dance for your dinner. Yeah, you know Christ. You've accepted what Christ did for you on the cross, but you've forgotten that the whole basis of your acceptance before God is only the cross of Jesus Christ, nothing else. You're still trying to dance for your dinner. Both groups, both kinds of people, need to lay down your self-righteousness at the cross of Christ. Because that's where peace is found. Peace with God that results in peace with people. It's found nowhere else. Would you bow your heads with me for prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a very polarized and divided culture. We pray for our culture, we pray for healing in our nation. We also know that a big part of the reason, the reason for all of that division and polarization is because we're all striving for self-acceptance and we're competing with one another, trying to outperform one another, and that just brings nothing but division. I've got to be right. You've got to be wrong. I've got to be better. You've got to be worse. I've got to be a victim. You've got to be an oppressor. And all of that just brings division. Lord, I pray today that this truth that is, uh, man, it's just, it's so hard to believe and, and most people don't understand this. And this truth that the only way to have all of that competition dealt with is through the cross. I pray that you would drive that home today in a way that I can't drive it home. And for those that may never have understood that before, that today they'd bring all of their self-righteousness to the foot of the cross and they would admit the hostility that they feel toward you. And that for the first time in their life that they would place their faith in what Christ did so that the verdict on them, the guilty verdict on them is removed. And the acceptance that Christ has before you would be placed on them. And then for those that, you know, that maybe they've come to a place where they understand that and know that, but they just keep living their lives on a treadmill, trying to dance for their dinner, Lord. Lord, would you just bring every one of us to the cross, too, that we would drop our self-righteousness there. We anticipate the day in the future that you will come, Lord Jesus, and bring peace to all of the nations and the whole earth. But we understand for now that your message your message was offensive and it 
attracts hostility and we may be we may have to experience that hostility we do to some extent it may be worse at some point in the future but Lord find us faithful followers of you because if they hated you they'll hate us but Lord let us not be the kind of people who deserve the hate people who have peace with others because we know that the competition's done through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we worship and pray. Amen.